It's almost Christmas, and we thank you for joining us once more for Christmas Stories from Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, along with Eva Daniel, and today our episode is going to have a little different flavor. As much as we love fun memories and humorous holiday stories, we understand that this can be a stressful season, and for many, it can be kind of a lonely time as well. It can, John, and I think we've all had those times where we felt kind of overwhelmed by the holiday season. It always feels really busy, and oftentimes like there's there's too much going on, and there's never quite as much time to do all of the things that you want to do or make all of the memories that you want. And so I think it's so important for us to take a step back and really remember the reason that Christ came and just the reason for this season. Mm, yeah, we get caught up sometimes in the presence and the to-do lists and all that. Uh, Focus on the Family President Jim Daly has shared that one Christmas he lived in the dorm because mm. he didn't have any place to go, and it was like almost no power, no people. He ate out of a vending machine. Really uh, lonely. Th- that <laughs> is a lonely time. Uh, you know, personally, I've not been there, but I did have a foot surgery a few years back during the Christmas season, and that that forced me to sit down, literally, and not do a whole lot. I shopped exclusively online. That was the transition away from the crowds and all the deals. It was like, if it's not on my computer, it's not happening. (laughs) But even better, I got to sit down and talk to people. I'd go to church. I wasn't walking around. I had to sit there and just talk to people and talk to my kids. It it became a pretty special memory, and I kind of wish I could slow down without having another foot (laughs) surgery. And, you know, I had a kind of similar experience as far as slowing down and really thinking of the season because both of my pregnancies were during the Christmas season. And I didn't really have very good pregnancies. I was very, very sick both times. Kind and, of ornery, too, and, if I yeah, recall. Yeah, I know. And during the end, you know, you start just not sleeping well, and, and they were very rough. But it was such a reminder to me both times, just reflecting on the Christmas story and Mary and what she must have gone through. I mean, here she is riding a donkey very late into her pregnancy, and her expectations mm-hmm. of what things would be like versus what they were did not match up. And so it was really powerful reminder to me both of those years of just reflecting on on what Mary went through and just how Christ entered the world and the way that he did for us during this season that we celebrate. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, those were, even though I was not the most comfortable either of those Christmases, it's were some of the most meaningful for and, me. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and today, as I said on Christmas Stories, we're going to have some heartwarming uh, recollections from listeners and guests of Focus on the Family who are going to remind us about the real reason for Christmas. And let's go ahead and listen to just a few of those now. Raising two little boys as a single mom, every year um, our travels was to go home to Florida to be with family for Christmas since I didn't have any in the state. And One year we were coming home, a friend of mine was traveling with us, and in the middle of the night we had car trouble. And the exit they pulled off onto was very dark. There was a little store. Everything was dark. And my three-year-old little boy in the back seat all huddled up. He said, Mama, he said, what are we going to eat? We don't have any food. And he was just all concerned that we were there alone, stranded in the middle of the night. And I began to tell him the story about how that Mary and Joseph had traveled all night and how that when they got to the city, there were no stores open. There was no one awake, and they had to wind up staying in a stall where there were animals and baby Jesus they laid him in a manger with hay but when God sent the shepherds to show them where the baby was God knew exactly where he was and the angels told the shepherds where to find baby Jesus and that God's eye was exactly on where we were and as it turned out even though the station was closed 
it had a little uh, counter that they were open all night, so I was able to give my children cinnamon rolls and chocolate milk. And when God said he's a father to the fatherless, he really is. My favorite Christmas story happened about the time that I was seven or eight years old. My grandparents always had the family in for Christmas Eve for a dinner and celebration. Now, my grandfather headed up the local fire department, uh, volunteer fire department, and on this particular Christmas Eve, a call came out that there was a fire. As all the men in our family headed out and down the road to uh, give aid to this family, the rest of us stayed back cooking and cleaning. And when they came back from the fire, my uncles headed out to their homes to take their showers and clean up from the fire. But my grandfather went and sat underneath the tree. My cousins and I went and gathered around him, and he told us that the fire had happened to a family who had five small children. They had lost their trailer, their Christmas, and everything. And as he got up to go into the house, he turned and he said, you know, I have a lot of gifts under my Christmas tree. I'm going to give one of my gifts to the father of that family. And as he went in the house, we knew he wanted us to do the same, but we sat there for a while until finally my cousin Donna stood up and said she was going to do it. And within just seemed like just minutes, the whole hillside was just a blaze in activity as everyone was collecting canned goods and clothing and furniture and anything we thought the family might need, including the gifts that my grandfather had suggested. I'll never forget the looks on the faces of the family gathered around the truck and we were handing off all these supplies that we had brought. But the joy that came over me at the time when we handed the Christmas gifts to those little children. My grandfather gave me the greatest gift that Christmas. He gave me the gift of giving. And after all, isn't that what Christmas is all about? I love that story, and I've really tried the last couple of years to do something with my kids to provide gifts for those that are less fortunate. We do the Samaritan's Purse Operation Christmas Child, where we fill a box with a shoebox full of little toys and crayons and coloring books, and somehow reaching out to those that are less fortunate than you really, I think, puts in perspective some of the materialism we get into mm-hmm. around the holiday season. Yeah, taking our family to uh, nursing homes or senior facilities mm-hmm. has always been kind of a so sobering thing, but it brings such joy, especially if you have little kids. You know, the, the the arms go up from the residents. They're like, bring me the baby. Let me see the baby. And there's something uh, heartwarming and, and sobering about that, to realize the arc of life and to reflect about the deeper things. Well, let's go ahead and hear more uh, touching stories and recollections from Friends of Focus on the Family, including Cynthia Tobias and Dr. Walt Larimore. I grew up the daughter of a Nazarene preacher, and I also grew up, uh, my most formative years were in Reno and Las Vegas. We celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve, and it's always the same, and that is on Christmas Eve, we have the Christmas Eve service, which my dad no longer officiates now, but he always did, and then we have chili, and then my dad reads the Christmas story to all the kids and grandkids and every one of us, and that's never changed. But one particular Christmas I remember when uh, he was pastoring in Las Vegas, tough town. Uh, you know, we, growing up in Las Vegas as a pastor's kid, we saw a very different, very different piece of Vegas. We saw the seamy underbelly and the danger and the 
ugly stuff. And um, that particular Christmas, I had come home from college. I'd brought a friend with me. We were looking forward to spending a really fun Christmas. And on Christmas Eve, when we thought we were going to do all the typical stuff, instead, Dad, who this is so typical of him, he said, I'm volunteering now with the chaplaincy in Las Vegas, and we're going to go down, and we're going to have our Christmas Eve service with the... Um, Alcoholics and Gamblers Anonymous. I'm thinking that's the last place I want to be. And and here on this beautiful Christmas Eve in this hot, sunny place, um, we spent our Christmas Eve service with prostitutes and gamblers and drunks uh, next to a casino in a very untraditional way. But it was so characteristic of my dad and his heart. And um, it just didn't, didn't feel right at first. And then it became so obvious Um, with his reading of the Christmas story and the time that we spent there, that these were the people that Christ came to save. These were the people that were there that night in Bethlehem, too. They They were there just like that, and that he didn't come to be in a nice, clean, pristine place where I wanted to be. He came to really redeem the souls who were lost. So I remember the uh, first year that I was in practice as a family physician, uh, that Christmas I was caring for a man in the hospital who was severely ill. This was before we knew about the diagnosis of HIV AIDS. Turns out that's exactly what he had. But he was dying of a pneumonia and a cancer, and nothing we did could help him. He came from a lifestyle and from a spiritual perspective that was the exact opposite of mine. And yet, because of the severeness of his illness, he knew he was facing eternity. I remember walking over to the hospital through the snow in Western North Carolina, and I had been praying about this particular patient. I went in to see him, and his his breathing was raspy, and it was coarse. I sat down beside his bed and reached over to hold his hand. And he looked at me, and he said, Doc, he said, you know, I come from a different background than you. I said, I know that. He said, but I know that you know a God that I don't know. And I smiled and I said, and I know that. And then I remember him looking at me in the eyes and saying, Doc, I'd like to know him. Very briefly, in that divine appointment, I explained to him how I had come to Christ as an adult and how that relationship had changed my life. And that all he needed to do if he wanted to have that relationship, was to ask God to come into his life. And he bowed his head and he closed his eyes and he said, I do. I squeezed his hand and gave him a hug. I didn't give him any reassurance or Bible verses because I knew I'd be back in to see him later that day. And I went down to the x-ray room to look at his x-rays when I heard over the PA system, code blue, code blue, code blue. I ran down to the ICU where he was, and the code team was providing him CPR, but they did not save his life, and he passed away. And on that Christmas, my first patient with AIDS became a brother in Christ. It just took a moment, but it was a moment that changed his eternity. It was a Merry Christmas for him, and it was the most memorable Christmas ever for me. What a powerful story and reminder that even in loss, there can still be hope and joy. And 
whatever any of us are going through this holiday season, that there's still hope in Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as we said at the beginning of uh, today's episode, it can be a very difficult time of year. Uh, Just last night, Eva, I ran into a friend whose wife passed away, and Mm. I thought, oh, this is his first Christmas without her. I wonder what that's like. Mm. I need to pray for him, and I'm going to drop him a note just to say, thinking of you at this time of year, knowing it's hard, just want to be in your court and in your corner. Uh, Now, you may not have experienced deep loss, but there are opportunities for you to reach out to others, and uh, we have a story here to inspire you uh, in that direction from Al Andrews. He was the focus on the family guest. He shared uh, a dramatic reading from his book, A Walk One Winter Night. It was cold that winter evening as I ambled down my quiet street. I needed a walk to clear my mind of all the clutter and stress of this season. It seems that every year it gets worse. More obligatory parties, irritated drivers and panicky shoppers, long lines everywhere. I remember a time when I was more expectant, when the reason for all this celebrating meant everything to me. But sadly, this night my internal monologue was, let's just get this thing over and get back to normal. Frankly, my cynicism troubled me. And when I am troubled, I take a walk. Even if it's near midnight, even if it's cold, even if there are still things to be done. The hour was late and a light rain was falling. Stray flakes of snow twirled and mingled in. From windows and trees, the lights of the season sparkled through the heavy mist like stars aching to beam brightly on this dreary, dark night. Turning up my collar, I pulled my jacket tighter. That kind of cold finds its way through most any opening. As I walked, I saw them out of the corner of my eye. Mary, Joseph, the baby Jesus, displayed in a wooden stable in someone's front yard. The usual characters were assembled as well. Shepherds, sheep, a camel, the wise men three. On the stable's roof, a precariously perched angel looked on and was tilting slightly to the left. All of them were illuminated by two bright floodlights shining from the grass in front of them. I almost passed them by. They were easy to miss as I've grown accustomed to their presence. They are, after all, available everywhere in all sizes. Ornament size, mantle size, coffee table size, and yard size. They come in a box, easy to assemble. But that night, and I'm not sure why, something caused me to turn my head, inviting me to linger. I stopped to look at them for a while, as one would stand in front of a Rembrandt painting in a museum. I must admit, it felt somewhat odd and awkward. After all, grown-ups don't pause and stare at yard manger scenes. But for some reason, that night, that moment, I felt I should be there, to witness something, to see. I folded my arms and I looked, obedient to this mysterious nudge. She wore blue. Mary always wears blue. A neatly pressed, clean blue garment. Her face, porcelain and untouchable, had a fixed expression, pleasant and peaceful. With her fragile hands folded in prayer, she gazed down adoringly at her child. She was perfect, this Mary, pristine, with moisture glistening on her smooth ceramic shawl. Joseph wore brown. Joseph always wears brown. Brown is a fitting color for a character relegated to the background, 
for someone who never gets top billing. His eyes appeared vacant and his beard was neatly trimmed. He was there as he always is, on the edges. He can't seem to find his place. Everyone else has something distinctive. Wings, crowns, gifts, halos, a shepherd's crook. But all he has is brown. Then there was the baby Jesus, his tiny arms extended. The star attraction. A halo encircled his little head, reaching from ear to ear. A clean white fabric wrapped around him. Swaddled, I suppose, is the appropriate Christmas word to use. He smiled an unearthly smile. He's always happy, this manger Jesus. It looked like he'd never slept and never cried. It didn't appear that he wanted to be held, nursed, or cuddled either. I won't take the time to describe the others, but you know them well. You probably even know where each is positioned in the stable. The shepherds go there, the camels and sheep over there, the wise men there, there, and there. I imagine you, too, are accustomed to their presence. I remain standing, trying to stay warm. Looking at them through the gauzy mist, I pondered. I simply couldn't relate to them in any way. They seemed remote and untouchable, just like this season had become for me. With considerable guilt, I wondered, why don't I like these people? After this abrupt and irreverent thought came to me, I half expected the ground underneath to open up and swallow me whole, or a bolt of lightning to descend with a flash and a snap leaving a little pile of smoldering ashes that used to be me. I closed my eyes and waited for the end. Thankfully, neither the heavens nor the ground opened, so I continued my gaze. And then something happened, something I frankly don't expect you to believe. I heard a noise coming from Mary's direction. It startled me. Who's that? I said. Though her figure didn't move, a soft voice pleaded. This is not me, she cried. This is not real, and her voice broke. Please listen to me. My garment, it isn't this clean, and it's not this brilliant shade of blue. It's a blue faded by the dust of a long journey to Bethlehem. It smells of my sweat and of the mule whose back I rode upon. My blue is stained with red, the blood of birth. It's soiled by the dung of a stable floor, and my face, my real face, is blemished. I'm a teenage girl. My brow is furrowed from worry. Worry about this baby, about tomorrow. What will Herod do? Will he find us? And my eyes, my eyes are red from tears of pain. I'm so lonely and afraid. This is my first baby and my mother is not here with me. This is not who I am, she said again. I am real. Please, let me be real. And her voice trailed off. Her words, both gentle and moving, reached inside of me so deeply I could barely breathe. And while I was catching my breath, I heard a deeper voice. You are wrong about me too. It was coming from Joseph's direction. This is not me. This is not real. Please, listen to me, he said firmly. I started to take a step backwards, but his voice riveted me in place. Listen, he repeated. Really listen. I am not the quiet, simple character you make me out to be. My eyes are not vacant. 
Hours ago, they were full of fire when I grabbed the innkeeper's tunic with a tight grip and said, Don't you tell me there is not some room somewhere. And he found a place for us. I'm a man with a purpose to travel where I was told to go and to lead my family safely there. And we made it. And now that we are here, I'm still on guard for we are in danger. Joseph continued, Yes, I wear brown, but it is for stealth. I blend in with my surroundings, and from my vantage point, my eyes scan every opening in this place for anyone who is out to do us harm, and no one will get by me. Let them try. I am the keeper of this light, and I will keep him safe. You are wrong about me. This is not who I am. I am real. Please, let me be real. His words soaked into me like the evening's mist. I felt admonished and awakened to something that was true. And then I heard a cry. I looked at Jesus in the wooden manger and he was thrashing about in the hay. He had soiled himself and he looked uncomfortable. His cloth was twisted in his arms and his legs. He grimaced from the prickly straw. His face was red and his cry grew louder the cry of a hungry infant. His toothless mouth opened and he arched his back. He cried so hard he ran out of breath, and for a moment it was quiet. But I knew it was the quiet before he drew another breath, and then he wailed so loudly I expected the lights in the nearby houses to turn on and the neighbors to come running out. I wondered if he too would speak, but he didn't need to. Somehow his words were in me, and I spoke for him. This is not me. This is not real. Please listen to me. The reason I came, the reason I was sent, was to be real. To feel everything you felt. To know everything you need because I needed it too. To hurt like you hurt. Cry like you've cried. Laugh like you've laughed. Skin my knee like you've skinned your knee and have my heart broken like your heart has been broken. I came so that one day or one winter night, when you come face to face with your defeat, your moment of absolute need, you can come to me and say, you know this too, be with me and lead me through it. And I will. This is not me, I am real, please. Let me be real. Then there was a silence, a long stillness that hushed the wind and pushed away the noises of the night. In the quiet, I was being given room, room to feel and consider what I'd just seen and heard. And out of the silence, the truth appeared like stars revealed by the parting clouds. Maybe the figures before me weren't real because I'd made them that way, so they would be predictable and safe. Easy to ignore and box up after Christmas, out of sight and out of mind. Maybe if Jesus wasn't real, he would be tame and small. Maybe I had rendered him untouchable because I was afraid of his touch. I'm sorry, I said. I know this isn't you. I can see it now. You're not who I've seen you to be, untouchable, 
perfect, something I made rather than someone who made me. You are real, you are true, you are here. I'm so sorry, I said again as my eyes brimmed with tears. The sorrow nudged me to kneel next to a shepherd on the wet grass in front of something so real, so very real, I couldn't even begin to comprehend it. And as I knelt, I became a part of the story, and the story became a part of me, and I felt his gentle pardon. Suddenly, everything expanded. This scene, this night, my heart, and I felt real. After a while, I stood and remained there, quietly looking at them as they gazed back at me. And I realized something. I liked these people now, and I think they like me. Shivering, I wondered if Jesus was cold too. So I laid my scarf over his hands and his feet, the same hands and feet I would one day see again. I tucked him in as best I could. Good night, I said to him. Sleep well, you've traveled far. I stayed beside him for a few minutes, just as I once stayed beside my own newborn sons as they drifted into sleep. Then a low, regal voice came from one of the wise men. He whispered as if he was aware that Jesus was sleeping. We, like you, were drawn to this place and have journeyed far to come here to see what you have seen. And what you have seen is what this world has been waiting for. And from a shepherd standing behind Joseph, I heard another quiet voice. Once you hear the angels sing, you will never be the same. If you listen carefully, they're always singing. And then there was quiet. No more voices, no more movement, no more surprises. I sensed it was time to go. I started the walk back to my house. The cold wind and a few flakes of snow urged me along. My pace was slow and thoughtful. This walk had become a journey I didn't want to end. Something had returned to me, and I yearned for it to remain. When I reached the corner of the street, I thought I heard singing and turned for one last look in the distance. I saw a warm glow coming from a small wooden stable in a yard down the street, sheltering something inside that was older than the stars and bigger than our whole wide world. And it was real. This is the most wonderful time of year, but it can be very difficult as well. And if you're struggling, uh, if you're in that place that Al was describing, we want to encourage you to take some time and uh, step back, ask God for help, and uh, spend more time with loved ones and friends if you can. If you need to talk to somebody, uh, give us a call during business hours. Our number is 800 232 6459 and uh, just indicate that you'd like to talk to one of our counselors. The call is free. 
Uh, they can spend about 15, 20 minutes with you just talking through your circumstances and pointing you to some steps toward making this a little easier time of year. And we do hope that you have enjoyed our conversations and that you will find help if you need it, and that it'll give you a new opportunity this holiday season to reflect on some of your memories and some of your traditions and some of those memories and traditions you hope to make in the future, regardless of maybe how this season has been, but that Christ has come to bring us all hope and joy. And every day of the year, not just uh, on Christmas Day. Well, speaking of, be sure to listen here one more time on Christmas Day. We're going to have a special conversation with Phil and Kay Robertson of Duck Dynasty fame, and uh, they're going to have some uh, fun and uh, undoubtedly quirky stories to share. They always have wacky adventures with that family, and you can hear that heartwarming broadcast right here at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Christmas Stories. And if you've enjoyed this podcast series, we'll encourage you to recommend it to a friend and rate us on the iTunes store and also to share it on your social media accounts. And thank you for joining us over the last few weeks. We've had fun. I'm Eva Daniel. And I'm John Fuller.